Welcome to Let's Talk, a monthly podcast where we discuss issues pertaining to advanced practice. I am your host, Wendy Carson-Smith. Today, our guest is nurse and lawyer Nancy Brent. Nancy J. Brent is a lawyer whose practice for over 37 years has focused on education, consultation, and the defense of healthcare providers, mainly nurses before the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation. She has published and lectured extensively in law and nursing practice. Ms. Brent also writes the blog, Brent's Law for Nurse.com. Thank you, Nancy, again for joining us. Well, thank you. All too often, nurses wait until after the Board of Nursing has completed its investigation to engage an attorney. Exactly when should a nurse contact an attorney and get the attorney involved in the disciplinary process? Well, I think that's a a really good question. And, of course, a very simple answer is the sooner the better. Many nurses, unfortunately, as you've indicated, wait until after they've gotten a notice or after even they've gotten a notice or request to come in for an interview through an investigative process. They wait and they wait and they ponder. And I think it's because they're so surprised, embarrassed, not certain what to do in the situation. And so time passes on and they don't realize how important it is to get moving on it as quickly as possible. So it would seem to me, and I have always talked to nurses about this, that as soon as you get any kind of notice from the department, uh, the department or the board or whatever it might be in your particular state, you need to get moving and contact an attorney to represent you. Nancy, you know, um, sometimes I get these calls too. And one of the big issues is that the discipline or practice person tells them that it is a quote unquote informal investigation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they'll say, well, wait until after that before you think about it. But they try to lull them into not getting someone, but instead trying to negotiate on your own. Right. And I want you to talk about that. And, and about the pros and cons of, of trying to negotiate directly with the Board of Nursing. Yeah, I think that, that to do that uh, directly is a, is a big mistake. And unfortunately, you know, it depends on the process in a particular state, but sometimes there's an investigative phase before one ever even gets to, um, to see the Board. But in any event, if that notice comes in, Or even on a more proactive basis, if you as the nurse who uh, is terminated or thinks there's a practice issue that may be reported to the board, it's imperative that you get an attorney, and particularly as soon as possible, a nurse attorney if possible, in order to start the process of working up the defense for that particular situation or allegation. Nurses are are wonderful people. They're bright. They know what they're doing in their particular practice area, but they don't know the law. And this is true whether it's just a nurse licensee, if you will, or an advanced practice nurse. The regulatory law is very complex, and unfortunately, many nurses think, well, I think I can manage this. I'm a good leader in my, in, you know, in my clinical area. I have my own independent practice as an APRN. I can manage this. I can deal with it. And the answer to that is no, you really can't. And so it's imperative, in my opinion, to be represented as soon as possible and not talk to anyone on the board or to the investigative people, if that's a, a phase that you go through before you get to the board, without representation. What you say and what you do will be recorded, taken down, and mm-hmm. utilized in a, in a final decision 
that the board takes or the investigator takes in a particular situation. So just like you wouldn't go in and have your um, dentist do surgery on an appendix, <laughs> you wouldn't want someone that is not representing you well and is experienced in situations for professional disciplinary proceedings. During our discussions, you mentioned the need for nurse practitioners to remain aware of their basic duties as registered nurses under the Nurse Practice Act. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, and I think that this is an an important point that I hope the listeners will take to heart. Nurses need to be very much aware of of their Nurse Practice Act and their responsibilities under the Act. It seems to me that uh, nurses are very well versed in how to avoid malpractice issues as best that they can. They understand that. Uh, They may take out even uh, professional liability insurance in that regard. But the focus on the Nurse Practice Act and the regulations in relation to that are not really are not really emphasized by the nurse uh, himself or herself. And I also think, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say, by nursing education programs. Uh, you might get a basic, you know, one-hour one input or course about the Nurse Practice Act, but that needs to be much more developed both in undergraduate programs and in graduate programs because this is the basis of a nurse's practice. And the nursing board is the one who regulates and who enforces the Nurse Practice Act. And if you don't know what that act says, this can be very problematic. In my experience, I have had board members asking nurses, well, why didn't you do this? Or were you aware of that in the Nurse Practice Act? And of course, the client says, no, I wasn't aware of it. Or my employer told me something different. And the board uh, doesn't take that lightly because they expect nurses and uh, APRNs to be accountable and responsible and know what is in their act and what, you know, how they have to conform their behavior. And, you know, um, another thing, Dr. Carson Smith, that's going on is that many of the issues in the Nurse Practice Act not only deal with one's professional practice of nursing, but what you do outside of that professional practice uh, when you leave, you know, at 8 o'clock in the morning or at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you have a little drink on the way home, you have a DUI, and all of these things are now being brought into focus before boards of nursing for such things as unprofessional conduct and so forth. So the nurse, whatever level of licensing she has and whatever the title he or she has, They just have to know the Nurse Practice Act, so they need to review it carefully. Any new amendments need to be looked into. Go to a board of nursing meeting. See who these people are that are regulating and making decisions about your nursing practice. It's so essential, and yet it's an area that really is underdeveloped. Yeah. Sometimes I have seen advanced practice nurses who are being disciplined for failures related to advanced practice, but they are allowed to retain their RN license. If they have not done the basics that a registered nurse is supposed to do, both licenses are taken. That's correct. And so that's why we got, I want I want them to think about this because some think that with that nurse practitioner license or certification, they are not going to be held to that standard that the RN is going to be held to. And we've got to think about that basic nursing is what you your license is built upon. That's right. That's right. And I, I remember um, several years ago, I had, I was doing a program somewhere and um, uh, a member of the audience 
said, you know, well, how come, she said two things, how come you have to have an RN license before you can have an advanced practice license? Mm-hmm. And the second thing she said was that it's, it's not fair. If, if, if I'm not conforming to the APRN standard, I still should be able to have a license as a registered nurse. But the whole foundation of nursing practice is that basic quote-unquote license, if you will. Mm-hmm. And this is something that nurses just don't understand, and I don't think that the public understands that either. And so, you know, family members get irate when a license, um, when a nurse is disciplined, or both licenses are removed or rescinded or placed on probation. And this is something that I guess we have to do more education about, both with the nursing community, but also their families and, and the public in general. And in some states, as you mentioned earlier, because it goes beyond just the practice of nursing. In some states, they will administratively suspend your license if you have not paid your student loans. That's correct. If, if you have court liens or fines or judgments or a child support order you're not honoring. So nurses have to go back and realize that you are professionals and that the Board of Nursing has the option in some states to actually remove your license administratively if you're not complying with all the laws of that state. That's correct. And I think professionalism has, or being a professional, is is being defined broader, as you say, in some states, so that you never lose the little hat that covers you as a professional, whether you're in the clinic, whether you're seeing patients, or whether you're driving home after a party. I mean, these are all things that are becoming more and more interesting and, and in terms of the regulation of nursing practice that will be continue to be tested, I think, over the years and will continue to be broadened, particularly as we get into some states, for example, that allow for recreational marijuana. Okay, so what does one do if one is imbibing in recreational marijuana the night before they go to work the next day or they're at a party and it's rated or whatever it may be and there is you know Nancy Brent RN arrested you know for for being at a party where she shouldn't have been so these are things that really becoming a nurse becoming an APRN becoming a doctorate in nursing whatever it may be is vitally important it's a very high honor but it carries with it responsibilities accountability and goes into not only your practice but your everyday life Now, let's go back to recreational marijuana because, you know, in the District of Columbia, we have medical marijuana laws so you can get a certificate where you can do medical marijuana, but also with recreational, they treat it as uh, tantamount to being a parking ticket. My concern is that, let's say we have a nurse licensed here who gets a parking ticket for publicly smoking marijuana. Mm -hmm. But she goes to a state like Virginia where nurses cannot do that and they do not have recreational marijuana and that is recorded. Have you seen instances of that or or how would you approach that? Because that will be a part of her nursing licensure record. Right, and I think it's very problematic. And the end result, and I have not had experience yet representing a nurse who was involved with uh, recreational marijuana it being okay and then, you know, having, having a problem. The medical marijuana, of course, is a whole other issue. But it's going to be very, very interesting to see how all this plays out, not only from an administrative perspective, but also from an employment perspective. Because what if, again, I'm at that party the night before, uh, I, don't, I don't use recreational 
marijuana, but of course there's secondhand smoke, et cetera, et cetera. And I go to work and there's a, someone thinks that, you know, I'm acting strange. I have a random screen and it comes up positive for marijuana. What then? Now you're back into the same situation as the nurse who had had a drink the night before comes into work and, and it's still, you know, in her system, in his or her system. You've got a problem with an impaired nurse, uh, a positive drug screen. And it, it just balloons and balloons and balloons. And I read something in the paper yesterday about there was an, uh, I, don't, I don't know how true the statistics were, but the article indicated that there were more and more auto accidents in states that allowed for recreational marijuana. Well, I'm not sure what the statistics are, but I do know that there is a problem until all of the state laws are coordinated. And as long as we have nurses crossing state lines, it will be a problem because in one state it could be very legal and not a problem. And in another state, it could be a problem. And as you mentioned earlier, there will be issues around competency in the workplace after imbibing recreation. Right, right, right. So, and I think they will probably treat them similar to um, alcoholism. So. Any substance use disorder. And, you know, um, the DSM-3 talks about not just opioid disorder, but tobacco use disorder, eating use disorder. Mm-hmm. I mean, so substance use, uh, a substance use disorder can be defined in, in many ways, and I think they will be treated the same, and maybe 25 years from now it won't be the case, but now is really everything is in the formative phases, and, and it's, it's very hard to, to predict, and it, it's problematic. Um, and, of course, if a client of mine tests positive for marijuana, which in, in the years that I've worked, that, that has been the case. It, it wasn't always alcohol, wasn't always narcotics, it, it sometimes was marijuana, owned up to the fact got into treatment, worked on it if need be, and tried to maintain the licensure prior, you know, and not having a suspension or a revocation, but to get the treatment that's needed. If there is a problem with this, if it was a one-time deal, well, that's something else that the board is then going to have to make a determination about. But there's not going to be a free ride, you know, if marijuana is legalized and, and there's a problem with a licensing situation. Have you heard if the Board of Nursing programs have come up with different policies since they have started, since state legislatures have started to approve the marijuana use laws? I believe that um, the National Council of State Boards of Nursing has published, I'll say a pamphlet, but I think it's more than that, on um, uh, marijuana use and and the impact on on, uh, board uh, Board of Nursing proceedings. I have not had a chance to look at that myself. I think it just came out fairly recently, and I'll say what that means within the last uh, eight months to a year. But they are starting to look into that, and I think it's important. It's very proactive. It's very smart on their part because they have to be ahead of the game in terms of dealing with these issues that, that do come up with this particular substance use. We need to roll into talking about opioid um, addictions But I think that a lot of the information you've already given probably covers the opioid addictions. But my concern is that nurses and nurse practitioners are disproportionately engaged in prescribed medication addictive behavior. And I know you've written and lectured on this, but so what's your advice for the nurse who becomes addicted? And we know they're going to get caught. If you're addicted, you will get caught. And what are your recommendations to boards for disciplined nurses with this prescribed addictive behavior? Well, you know, I think the boards of nursing have come a long, long way. I was, I was just thinking earlier this morning before we started our conversation about 
how uh, at one time, you know, any nurse who was addicted to anything, and particularly at that time it was more the narcotics uh, um, and then, of course, now opioids, but specifically, but how uh, nurses were treated by boards of nursing. They were simply, once they were reported, they were punitive. You know, your license is suspended. Maybe you can uh, petition for reinstatement if you want to, but you, you have a suspended license and goodbye. There was never much discussion about uh, treatment issues. But slowly but surely, and, and let me say this, in all due respect to boards of nursing, it is their obligation to protect public against unsafe and incompetent practice. So th- these disciplines that came through with the s- suspensions and so forth were, prob- it were in most instances necessary, at least in terms of protecting the public, but the poor nurse wasn't protected. And so slowly but surely, boards of nursing have come to deal with the substance use disorder as being like any other chronic illness. It's an illness. It's a problem. And they've established alternative to disciplinary programs where the nurse, if he or she agrees to go into treatment, successfully completes that treatment, there is no discipline. They retain their license and can go back to practice. Um, Usually it's confidential. In other words, it's not made a public. uh, There is no discipline, so there's no reporting required of that situation. And the nurse is monitored maybe for several years thereafter through drug screens, uh, self-reports, et cetera, and is able to continue to practice. Other boards will have a discipline imposed, maybe probationary status on the license, but require as part of that probation that the nurse go into treatment and successfully complete that, be monitored, and so forth. So there's a major change, I think, uh, and I, I applaud the boards of nursing that have looked at this in a different way to help the nurse get treatment, which is important, and also protect the public from safe, from unsafe and incompetent practice. I think it's a dual responsibility. At one time, it looked only you know, uh, for the public. But it, I think it's just been wonderful, the, the number of boards of nursing that have really gone forward with very good good programs, and, and, they, and they are good programs. They're not just fly-by-night programs or, you know, in and out in 48 hours. It, they're comprehensive, and, and the nurse really get treatment that he or she needs for the most part in most instances. In some states, nurse practitioners are regulated by boards of medicine or a joint board comprised of physician and nurses. Physicians often wish to impose medical standards of care on NPs, while nursing boards utilize nursing standards of care. Have you been involved with or know of cases where medical professionals have attempted to impose medical standards of care on NP conduct? And what would you recommend to lawyers representing NPs in these scenarios? That's a very interesting situation to be to be involved in. I have not personally handled those matters, that particular matter, but I would hope that boards of nursing would be very clear about the fact that they would support a, a nurse practitioner, an advanced practice RN, who stuck to his or her guns and said, I'm not doing this medical stuff. I am a nurse, and I, it's different, and, and I'm, I, I want to practice nursing as I see it to be practiced. And also consistent with the Nurse Practice Act. Now, back in the day, I had a little bit of a different scenario with that in that I had represented advanced practice nurses who were charged with practicing medicine without a license rather than practicing nursing with a license before they had, you know, some of the specific APRN language in the uh, Nurse Practice Act. And so what we did in those situations was to get documents and standards and guidelines for advanced practice nurses, and we did everything consistent with what they were suggesting, and luckily those allegations were dismissed. But um, that was a very scary time for certainly advanced practice nurses, and, and for me, 
uh, representing them, not knowing if this was going to be enough. I mean, I did my homework. I did what I thought I needed to do. We were consistent with the professional association, associations, but that's really, a, for a long time, excuse me, a very, very difficult time in, in the state in which I practice. Have you encountered the issues around title protection and the use of doctor? in their efforts to prohibit DMPs from using the term doctor. Right. I, I don't think it's a problem statewide, but there, there it is a problem, to the best of my knowledge, in some employer settings where clearly in the policy, employment policy handbook, it will say that you cannot identify yourself as a doctor. You can put your credentials there, but you have to say you're you're a nurse or you're an you know a, an advanced practice nurse or whatever. But you cannot use the title tell a patient that you're a, you have a doctor a doctorate. Yeah, very very interesting, and I think that's awfully crazy, but it is what it is, and that's another battle that needs to be fought and across the country because it's it's unfair. It's a credential. It's not misrepresentation. And say that you know you're a nurse with a doctorate in nursing or whatever you want to say, but to not be able to use that credential, I think, is, is very problematic. And it should be in practice acts, and there should be title protection for people being able for nurses being able to use that. What are your recommendations to maneuver with boards of nursing to retain competency and practice? when you have a Medicare exclusion? Yeah, that is very, very problematic. Any exclusion, like in Medicare, Medicaid situations, or even if a license is suspended, you know, competency needs to continue. And, of course, when you repetition for a license if it's suspended or the exclusion no longer, you know, maybe there's a time limit to the exclusion, how do you keep up? And I've I've always recommended when I was able to, and this was particularly more so for suspensions than for the exclusions, but to take whatever course you could online in your area of practice. If, if, if there was no clinical involved, you can at least start to get some um, uh, knowledge about updates and so on and so forth. So when you come back to reapply for your license or reinstate your license, you at least have some credibility and, and, and good programs, hopefully, that um, will allow you to have the board say, well, okay, uh, you've done this, you need to do 17 more, but at least you've done, you know, you've done this so far. Sometimes, I don't know, I've never been involved in this, but it would be wonderful if a board of nursing would allow a, a nurse who has an exclusion or has been suspended to maybe if they wanted to go on to their, get their master's degree or something, they could take the coursework and work out uh, work something out with the college or the university that the clinical would be done when the license was reinstated or the exclusion had finished um, so that they at least had part of their area of competency begun and then they can practice that, deal with that, and put it into motion at, at a later date. But I don't know if that's even feasible, whether, whether Medicare and Medicare. Maybe we should check on that one. But I've known some some nurses to actually work in nonprofit clinics that don't get any funding. Now, I don't know how, you know, and, and it seems as though the Board of Nursing has accepted that in some jurisdictions. Oh, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful potential resolution. That would be, that would be good. I suppose volunteering work where maybe you weren't practicing nursing per se because, you know, you'd have to be very careful about what you were doing based on the definition of nursing practice in in your particular state. But volunteering in some capacity um, where it wasn't considered the the true practice of nursing, but you were involved in in nursing in some way, shape, or form as an aide, maybe as a, a CNA or whatever, at least would be in the in the realm of things and, and, and also um, 
Uh, or in a religious setting, too, yeah. because, you know, they get those exceptions, too. That's true. That's another good point. That's another good good uh, point. I just have not had experience with that other than through the suspensions, which I, again, tried to help them through um, online programs, taking a course, taking a continuing education, nursing um, hour program, you know, whatever that might help in keeping up with the knowledge part of it, not necessarily the clinical part, but certainly the knowledge part of it. Well, have you seen anything new or unusual that's changed related to discipline out in the universe of late? Anything new or different? Well, I, I think that I think that boards of nursing are are more. I don't want to say uh, uh, approachable, but they're more involved sometimes with the with the uh, community and with nursing members generally. Having newsletters, having online programs. That I've seen, I think, and I think that's been a very good development. The discipline, I think, has come, any, any developments has been in looking at substance use disorders as, as really a chronic illness that needs support, help, treatment, accountability for sure, but that is not that punitive you know, approach. I think just that's one of the biggest things for me over the years because when I first started, again, in my practice, um, when a, a nurse had diverted or was using drugs illegally or narcotics, First of all, they were charged criminally, and then they were sent over to the board to lose their license. And so that, fortunately, has not been the case as much in recent years. What about recidivism? Have, have the rates gone down or up for repeat offenses? Well, that's interesting. Um, I think that generally speaking, they're probably about the same. I mean, I don't have exact data on that, but I think that recidivism is something that you have to expect with a substance use disorder. Uh, some people, you know, fly like crazy and are wonderful. They, they never break down again, never have a breakdown or a problem or, or whatever. But it's almost expected. And I think that uh, many times boards of nursing now are starting to look at any monitoring or probationary license status as continuing for a period of time. It used to be maybe two years and then it went to three and now it's five or six. So that the monitoring goes on because there is the potential for recidivism a relapse, and they want to make sure that if that happens, they're prepared to to deal with it, both the the nurses and also the board. Any parting words to share with our listeners about (laughs) discipline? About discipline. (laughs) The the moral of the story is know your practice act. Don't get involved in conduct, which is going to create a problem for you for discipline. But if you do have a problem, and we all, you know, no one is perfect, the issue is to get a nurse attorney or an attorney to represent you right from the get-go so that, you know, you, uh, you are well protected. And I might add that there are ways in which nurses can certainly identify uh, an attorney or a nurse attorney to retain. State, state bar associations, local bar associations have lawyer referral services. These are well-run. They're, they're um, you know, the members are well-screened and so forth. Your professional nursing associations also have many times lists of attorneys or can refer you to uh, an attorney or a nurse attorney who can handle the matter. I belong to the American Association of Nurse Attorneys. They have a lawyer referral service on their website, which is taana.org, where you can find a nurse attorney in your state. You just put your state in, and it will list the members um, uh, and their areas of practice and contact information. So not handling it alone is the key. You must retain an attorney, not your insurance attorney, not your auto insurance attorney or whatever, but your attorney that an attorney who is experienced, well-versed, and certainly 
a nurse attorney has the dual background, which can really help in terms of focusing on issues that maybe might not be picked up by someone else who is not a nurse attorney. But whether it be a nurse attorney or an attorney, you need to have representation. An attorney who is competent in and understands nursing Absolutely, and that's where the nurse attorney comes in because he or she does. Well, thank you again uh, to our guest, Nancy Brent, for joining us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please prescribe and, and leave us a positive rating on iTunes. Less Talk is a part of Carson Company, a nurse consulting firm. If you'd like to know more about Carson Company or Less Talk podcast, please visit us at carsonco.net. That's C-A-R-S-O-N-C-O dot net. You can also find us on our Facebook page. Join us again next month for an episode. And Nancy, before we leave, give them contact information for you. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm uh, in the state of Illinois, and I'm certainly in the phone book. I do not have a website. I, I never have. I was back in the day when those things didn't happen. So my my uh, my client base has always been through referrals and, and my programs and so on and so forth. But I, uh, you can certainly reach me at my office should you want to and that number is 847-853-1091 and I'd like to thank uh, all of you who are listening and will be listening uh, when this podcast goes to publication and thank you and she's at Brent's Law for Nurse.com right. right. Brent's Law for Nurse.com